you straight out. Welcome back, guys. First episode of 2022. Happy New Year, Kappas. Happy New Year. Got our birth Kiko on the go. This is actually the first time. So we are currently Cheers. recording this. Cheers. It is the first Friday post-Christmas holidays, the 7th. We haven't seen each other for weeks. Actually, it's been so long. Which is unheard of. Our WhatsApp that. has become frenzied. I know, but I had bit of a bit of a bit of a shit Christmas. Bit of a dead Christmas. Uh, got COVID on like the twenty second. So could you even um, cook on the on the Christmas day? Um, so my mom had actually dropped us round like some stuff the day before. Like she dropped around like some potatoes, some sprouts, like little some like two little chicken breasts and stuff. So not turkey. No, because obviously she was making the turkey the oh, next yeah, day. Oh, so like she was like, I can't like hack off like some chunk of the turkey. Yeah, no. Um, yeah. And also she was like, well, she said, oh, I could drop around Christmas Day. And I was like, no, enjoy your Christmas Day. Like, I don't want you driving over. Um, I have to say, you are not, you're not a very moany person and you're like dispatchers from the... I was moaning a lot, what were you going to say? Oh, no, I was going to say you weren't moaning very oh, much at all. thank you. Because I felt like I was like... I was in a foul mood, really. No, but we didn't really WhatsApp much over your illness. I couldn't be bothered to even be on my phone. I had nothing to say, so I was like, I'm not going to, what what can I tell you? (laughs) Yeah. But even though I felt like I had nothing to fill you in on post-Christmas, we did have a gorgeous time catching up at Hot New Bar in uh, Kensington High Street. Oh my God, Amaro. We loved it, guys. You need to go check it out. It's brand new. It's headed up by the former Savoy's head mixologist, Elon Sadu, who, by the way, was also there on the night. He's so welcoming. He's so knowledgeable. The best host. All his staff are also five-star hotel alumni. It's so chic, right? So chic. I love, like, the marble floor, the black bar, and they're, like, backlit... Um, back bar mm. with all the drinks. Like, it's very classy. It's, like, great for a date or for, like, a treat with the gals. Yeah, Ooh. I felt very... Cl- I the always gents. love sitting at the counter. Makes I me know. feel very mature. And um, what was your best cocktail? I had a pomegranate Negroni and a Cosmo Ooh. with white chocolate on the side. Gorgeous. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because their whole thing is, like, uh, reimagined classics. Very elevated. And we had a really nice Bellini that was so refined. It didn't actually have any, like, colour to it. Uh, it was great, like a really yummy, like flavoured champagne, basically. I also very much liked the vodka-based plum spritz. Mm. Guys, go check it out. Tell Elon we sent you. And yeah, I just, um, I was trying to stay off my phone as much as possible, even though obviously did fail at that, especially Christmas Day, the bait day that you don't sit there and look at everyone's Instagram stories of like their cute, perfect Christmases. Yeah. How you're lying on the sofa like, I feel so ill. And there neither. was one moment of desperation where you messaged me like, hi, Angel, do you have any recommendations for me to get into? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I was like, oh, dear, you're bored. You're like, oh, I actually don't. <laughs> I, yeah, I actually didn't have any. Um, anyway, yes, I'm all better now. This is the first time we've seen each other. You didn't even have that much of a Christmas break because no, you were... Well, yeah, working at a newspaper, uh, you kind of work the, the time. The grind never stops. The grind never stops. I didn't work on Christmas Day, though, although I kind of didn't mind when I once got paid extra to work on Christmas Day. You get Day. paid double time, don't you? So You get paid... Yeah, I got paid a bonus, had a really nice chat with my cab driver on the way in, missed all the boring family preparation stuff and just came home in time for presents and... Food on the table. Quite nice. It's ideal. Anyway, but um, welcome back, guys, to Straight Up. We have some very exciting news, which is that our season finale next. Oh, it's coming out soon. Yeah, we've recorded it already. So if you're wondering who our guest this week is, we know already if you've pressed play and you're listening, you're a true, genuine OG Straight Up fan because you're here for us, not yes. the guest, which we love to we see. We are so the thank talent. You. you are our most important listeners. We care so much about what you think of the podcast. We really, really, really want to hear from you. But our next guest is Mahalia. 
very exciting. That's the season finale. We love Mahalia. If you don't know who she is, she is the British singer, songwriter, all round kind of. You have like definitely heard new Simmer. R&B queen. Cool down, Simmer. No, no, no. Okay, so I it's with Bad Boy. Yes, I'm not going to say that's the most um, truthful, rendition. truthful rendition, but <laughs> you will know it, and I'm sure you'll know her. She's amazing, really, really amazing. We've actually recorded the interview already um, because she's got a new album. She's out. got a new album coming out. However, we're going to run this interview when the new album comes out, so you guys are not hearing it for another couple of weeks. You will love it. However, I have to say it will really appeal to those who love to hear a bit of chat about dating gone wrong oh a bit of dating gossip well a lot of dating gossip actually and also like generally like really interesting music industry intel however that is all we will say make sure you tune in today we actually thought what we would do is have a quick chat all about the music tv film that we've both been enjoying that everyone's been chatting about starting with actually podcast space slash twitter drama Meme fodder. We're very excited. Well, maybe that's the wrong way to put it. Excited sounds weird. No, I am but excited. We've been chomping at the bit to discuss this actually since December because. Well, how long we need to say what it is? So, Stephen Bartlett's podcast, you've probably had us mention it before Diary of a CEO. It's one of our faves. We love it. Mm. Um, he, Stephen Bartlett, had Molly May, as in Molly May, the influencer who was on Love Island, who's gone on to like. Basically, she's been the most successful, like, Love Island alumni. Yeah, she, um, at 22, she's, she's the biggest CEO, influencer in the, UK, in the UK. CEO of Pretty Little Thing. Um, no, no creator, yeah, no, no, no. Definitely not. Definitely creator, not. director. Creator, director thing. of Pretty Little Thing, but, Gets yeah, basically the biggest influencer in the UK. She has, like, I don't know, 6.8 million followers, or she did, like, a month ago. It's probably gone up now. Um, very influential, especially with lots of young girls, and she has come under fire, this week, because comments from the interview have surfaced, uh, which are really quite problematic, and we'd already had a quick debrief in the Instagram chat, hadn't we? Just yeah, we did. Us one, once we listened to it last year. Just I have really like vivid memories of listening to it in the bath, being like quite outraged. She does make some interesting points. There are three big sound bites essentially um, that have yeah. become the centre of the controversy and also just generally are problematic but invite a lot of interesting debate. So, you guys have probably seen the first one. The big, big thing going around on Twitter at the moment is the clip of her saying um, that Beyonce has the same 24 hours in the day that we do. Basically, we all have equal opportunity to create wealth and success because we all have 24 hours in the day. Yeah, it's just, and she know, like, even in the interview, she says, oh, I've been slammed for saying this in the past, but what I'm saying is technically true. Like, we do all have the same 24 hours in the day, even though I know that not everyone has the same financial privilege or background. Technically, what I'm saying is true. So she's got that tiny bit of self-awareness, but none of the awareness that you need to understand, like, that that is just going to leave, like, such a sour taste, like, in everyone's mouth. Like, the insensitivity in relation to, like, especially with Pretty Little Thing, where they literally, they pay their garment workers in the UK £3.50 an hour. She got paid 600 grand, and she's being like, everyone has the same 24 hours in the day. The memes have been giving me life this morning of, like, Molly Mae walking into a sweatshop being like, we can all be millionaires. Oh no, stop being poor, it says oh, yeah. on the t-shirt. <laughs> that Paris Hilton pick. Um, I think it's just like, it's like a, she's perpetuating the like classist myth that like hard work equals success. Yeah. And that, well, yeah, and input equals output and everyone has the same opportunity and we're all on the same level playing field. And What is her, her background? class background? 
Do we know? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So she talks about it in the Stephen episode. So she grew up literally like a village in Hertfordshire. I think it was a Hitchin. Um, yeah. She grew up in Hitchin and both her parents are police officers. So that's obviously a very middle class, like... Oh, yeah, she just talked about that. You know, um, comfortable, quite, like, closeted like, background. Yeah. Um, there's obviously the element there as well that, while neither of us knew who she was before Love Island, so I can't... I have never scrolled back, not gonna lie. I've not looked at her, like, most earliest posts. But I think it was very much the vibe of like, oh, I'm like a pretty white blonde teenager who is going to put makeup on and take pictures of the really nice outfits that my mum bought for me on our trip to the shopping centre on Saturday. Um, so even that starting point yes. is from this like closeted, like middle class, closeted? Closeted. closeted. But that yeah. said, I have middle to say class. throughout the interview and particularly now that I, you've reminded me with her parents being police teachers, uh, police teachers, <laughs> police women and men, um, there is something really quite unique about her. She says that she really liked the fact that her dad being a policeman who shut down one of her friend's parties that she was at, oh, yeah, yeah, she yeah. liked the fact that she had that, that made her different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She and never wanted to be like the typical girl in Hitchin. She didn't want to be like everyone else. She always knew that she had like different aspirations. Yeah, so I found that quite telling actually of what she is now which is very much apart from the rest of the love island group very much a solo influencer does not really i mean she literally says and we'll get onto this later that she doesn't want friends yeah and, and she's clearly really like she there is something about her like okay yeah i think the big conversation that's come out of this is what is essentially one of the big like cultural questions of the era which is like what is hard work well hard work isn't there isn't a metric like hard work for one is not the same for someone else. Yeah, there was a really funny takedown of her on Reddit being like, I'm sorry, Molly Mae, but hard work is not writing notes about your business and your Louis Vuitton, like. Literally, and she, <laughs> and even on the Stephen, again, you know, caveat, she's 22, she's trying her best. And there are things, like I follow her on Instagram, I haven't like unfollowed her or anything. There are things about her that I'm like, Oh, I, well, to be honest, it's not that like I love her as a person, but she quite like quite like her style. Like I like her style, but apparently the Pretty Little Thing collection is crap. Like I, I mean, I was trending never on TikTok from Pretty Little Kid Thing in a million years anyway. No, no, neither like, did I. But just, I saw on TikTok it was trending that all the collection, her big collection that came out, like none of it fit properly. All of the sizes. Of oh, really? Battery. It was actually that bad. It yeah, was yeah, like yeah. the fit was bad. Even it was really really bad. I like someone the... just uploaded a video of them with the jumper, and it was like, would it look Molly May wearing it, and then her wearing it, and the sleeves were like double her arm length it was absurd just so ridiculous yeah yeah i think it's tacky it's tacky quality yeah and, uh, but like molly may okay maybe uh, this is gonna sound really rude as well i don't know how to say this without it sounding like i'm like being a bitch but like she is a bit tacky do you know what i mean yeah like that's her vibe like which is a vibe yeah like is a successful i personally as an influencer don't like i think if you have a platform and you're engaging with like all these young people then you do like it's not even it's this constant thing, isn't it? Do you have a responsibility in your public if you're in the public eye to be a role model? Well, it's a big debate. But she should she should censor things like sustainability and ethical consumerism more, but she's not about that life. That's not who she is. She doesn't ever promote that stuff. Like she is about the fast fashion, cheap and cheerful like thing. But then that really grates when she is actually usually photoed photographed, photographed, wearing like boots that cost over a grand from Prada and Balenciaga. And she like, even says in that episode that she's quite interested in pursuing possibly high, like high fashion brands. brands. Yeah, that's what she would like love to because at the moment she only gets like that lower level. Like at the end of the day, I think it's quite telling as well, like from an industry sort of side, huge luxury brands, say someone like, I don't know, Dior, like they target like those low, like the people that are promoing beauty stuff only and fragrance, 
that in itself is telling in terms of like class structure and how products are marketed because they're selling the cheap end of luxury to a certain audience to the audience that only can access the lipstick they're never going to buy the bag yeah do you know what I mean um it's basically pushing people that only have a certain expendable income to spend money on luxury products that otherwise would be out there reach which is why in a way I actually I'm really against I remember the business of fashion did an article about this a couple of years ago like designer key rings fucking ridiculous you're just trying to sell a piece of that like design lifestyle to someone who otherwise wouldn't be able to afford it. Well, like, it. was it Chanel that had the totes of, like, it's literally just, like, almost, like, a plastic tote with, like, the Chanel... Yeah, and ...like, it's logo all... attached to it in, like, paper form in between the two plastic sheets. Yeah, 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 like, they're, they're crap. And I think there was actually something on TikTok this Christmas as well about the Chanel uh, beauty calendar. calendar. I and saw they were like, that. what the fuck is this? Like, a few tr- transferable tattoos and that's yeah. it. What I also found interesting was that, I guess, and I guess this goes back to the sense of privilege, Molly Mae definitely thinks that Love Island was not her golden ticket, that she would have been really successful regardless because she said she had 170,000 Instagram And she knew she was on her way to a million. Yeah, before she was on Love Island. So she clearly thinks that, unlike what people on Twitter think, you weren't just handed loads of brands deals because you were a reality TV star. Like, she were grafting before that. Yeah, she thinks she had, like, a career trajectory, which, to be fair... She probably has been a lot more strategic about her career than than her, like ninety percent of the people that go on Love Island. So this is a thing that I find really, really strange about the whole Molly May thing. If you are marketing yourself as an influencer and you are vlogging on YouTube about your life and your whole shtick is that you are sharing your life with fans or people that you want, and she talks about this in the Stephen Bartlett podcast, she wants people to relate to her and to have a connection with her based on relatability. Mm. And yet she says she doesn't need friends. Yeah. And that she doesn't believe in friendship. It's like, how can your whole career be based on forging meaningful connection with people, but you don't want... Believe about that in real life. I know, that was the point, actually, that we discussed before, just like, because we just couldn't resist the minute we listened, wasn't it? Is that she basically says, no, straight up, I don't have any friends, my circle is tiny, like, I don't need friends, I'm more interested in spending time with my boyfriend, making money. And, like, in one way, there's... I think, yeah, like we said, there's two ways of looking at that. Like, in one, it's like, well, it's like hustle culture and you're focused on your career not like pointless socialising like she says she doesn't drink much and all of that and you're like well good for you that you're not just like going to the fucking opening of an envelope to like drink free champagne for the sake of it <laughs> but equally actually how like grossly sad actually just like depressing that you don't think you need an IRL like actual genuine community of people that love and support you well you life. don't need it now like, we've all had that one friend right who didn't need friends because she had a boyfriend all the time at school yeah well wait till tommy sorry he may he may do he may break up with you and then who are you gonna yeah. have i literally saw this thing that um it was like tommy is of, her boxer yeah. boyfriend tommy, tommy Drew. Drew, yeah. um i saw this thing today actually that it was like one of tony tones little like affirmation kind of posts which i love um and she had basically said yeah don't ever like women all loads of women make the mistake of prioritizing like a boyfriend or partner girlfriend whatever um over their friendship groups um but actually like the majority of your friendships like for the majority of people your friendships are going to outlast your romantic relationships like yeah there might be like one romantic relationship but generally speaking it's just the wrong way it's so the wrong way and i've also noticed the girls that prioritize boyfriends because they then don't have friends to fall back on when those relationships end they just hop to the next relationship and they're just yeah, serial yeah, yeah. relationships and they just like hang out with their boyfriend's friends and yeah it's just, like, yeah 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 um it's so so i think that might blow up in her face 
I was so. trying to think of it from the other side. Like, I do think, you know, had she framed it in a bit of a different way, like I'm an introvert or I get overwhelmed by being in groups or, you know, my mm. my interests are quite niche and therefore I don't feel that people understand me, it would have been totally fine to be like, I only want one friend. But it was this, like, she smirked when she said it and I remember she giggled and she went, I think they hold you back and they hang on, don't they? She said yes, they hang and, on, don't they? And she talks about being... I'm not that girl from Hitchin anymore. I find like, that really disturbing. I'm not. My life's different, so they don't get me anymore. She like, hates her former life. That's like, how I... I think, yeah, she never wanted to be, like, boring and humdrum, did she? Like, that was her main goal, to, like, get as far away from that Hitchin life as she possibly could. Like, that's what has driven her to get to where she is. I wonder if she was bullied at school or something, because I did feel there was Sorry. almost, like, a, a quite, like, a obvious like hatred towards the Molly May of Hitchens like I'm gonna show them things yeah 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 Yeah, yeah. and I wonder if maybe her way and to be honest I always find that when I say really when I say kind of problematic things or things I regret I often feel like it's a self-defense thing and I'm not kind of thinking and I'm just trying to like shield myself I wonder if it's her way of being like I've never had many friends. Maybe she's never had a friendship group, and that's her. It's her way of being like, I, it's a choice, not yeah, a yeah, yeah, circumstance. It's a exactly. Sort of thing. Yeah. But maybe she's never really been popular. Yeah, but I think that I always, to be honest, I think that with influencer culture generally, like people that are big influencers and big vloggers, like naming no names, the ones that we've met through work and stuff, like usually they're like they're losers that are like desperate for approval. Do you know what I mean? That's why they're yeah. doing it on the internet because they don't have friends in real life. They want friends. They want this, like, approval from other people on the internet because they don't get it in their real lives from the people around them. And do you think that's because they are people that don't get on with people so they can only show their filtered side on the internet and that's palatable to people because their real self is unpalatable? I don't know, because I think it can be a lot like... Like, for example, Patricia Bright, the massive YouTuber who also is on Stephen Bartlett's podcast last year... Um, she talks about when she started vlogging, she actually was in an argument with her friendship group, uh, her uni group of girls, oh, and, and whatever to... the issue had been, there was, you know, a typical conflict. I don't think she goes into detail about what caused it, but she started vlogging and found this community of people, like-minded people online, when she was really going through it, and they'd kind of cut her out of the group and stop inviting her on nights out and stuff. Mm. So like I said, I don't know if it's like that someone is always like that, or whether they're just going through a bad time, but there's definitely a sense of like looking for external validation and approval that you aren't getting. To be honest, I remember at uni finding it really difficult to make friends. I think, I don't know why. Um, I found it really difficult to make friends because there was a massive group of girls I felt were like immediately drawn to each other and I felt slightly ostracized. impenetrable. And then I made that my character. Like, um, I kind of made that my persona that like, oh, I, they used to call me they used to call me Ellie fucking Halls, EFH, because apparently I would like storm around without, they didn't realise that I would storm around nightclubs without my glasses on I and know. ignore everyone. Oh, and they thought I was this like horrible like Like being bitch. stuck up or something. Yeah, really stuck up and that I didn't have time for people. And actually I just couldn't see and I was probably really awkward and shy. Yeah, and I think a lot of the time. But I made um, that my persona and I was like, yeah, I'm Ellie fucking yeah. Halls and yeah, I ignored you. But actually I didn't. And really. actually like it, and it was come awful. from a place of vulnerability. Definitely it came. And I was But miserable. you make it your like hard shell. Exactly. Yeah. And I made it this really funny thing. Uh, and then when I was drunk and on nights out I found it really hilarious but then I would go home I would always go home to London like far more than was like completely that was healthy always to my friends in London and they would always come and visit me and I ostracised myself that way yeah I think it is a really interesting like dynamic isn't it like and you become a caricature yeah you you, like self-define and 
what's the word like um yeah i took but, I, I mean i don't know we were literally just talking about weren't we putting words in celebrities mouths but maybe mm. that i hope i hope that is molly mays well, i actually yeah i just think again it's, than it's to like go back coldness. to the thing we were talking about before as well like and this isn't to kind of excuse her behaviour. And maybe, I mean, this might be something that really pisses people off, when, like, in which case, do tell me. But I think a real grasp of the class struggle and privilege and structural inequality and stuff kind of does come with a university education. Like, don't yeah. get me wrong, I'm not saying that it's only that. Of course, university education is like a bastion of privilege in itself. But how the hell is someone who probably left school at 16, like, why would she know about, like, ne- the, the reality and, like, the infrastructure of neoliberalism? Like, she's yeah. not going to know that, is she? Like, you don't... I remember even not actually understanding what the word fascism flat versus communism, like, basic capitalism. I didn't literally know what those terms meant until I went to university. And that's, like, having had, like, a very good state education, but a good one and doing history for GCSE and A-level and stuff like that. Like, I don't think that those conversations are really had outside of, like, university halls in a lot of... I also think Molly May is not going to identify with the, like, liberal, like... uh, Sorry, the kind of London metropolitan elite. I don't think she'll identify with that. She'll see... Oh, no, she's, like, small-town Tory. Yeah, and also she'll probably see, like, two police officer parents. Okay, that's not, like, high, high high-earning household, right? Yeah, it will be... Like, they're they're very comfortable and middle-class, but she's not... have seen herself as, like, affluent. So I think she probably doesn't realise how dodgy sometimes her privilege sounds oh as yeah a white she's not woman. aware yeah yeah she's not actually not self-aware enough to understand that like one thing i thought was so interesting i saw this tweet it was um femi underscore sorry he's actually a journalist i think i can't remember what his full name is i haven't jotted it down but i'll check but he basically was talking about um people like losing their mind over molly may saying this like it's because they're hearing like typically conservative words through a typically liberal face so they don't right. like it but actually that's interesting like this high, kind of like conservative big c like tory ideology that you're responsible for your own fate and that you know like if you're poor like we'll work harder kind of vibe like i did it so can why can't you like each of us like individualism like she like that is people espouse those views all the time when there was the big conversation about universal credit that's like what boris johnson's basically saying yeah the myth about her being thatcher is oh my god so good the problem with it is it like perpetuates the myth that we're all solely responsible for our own like destinies and external factors don't like play into it so if you're not successful that's because you failed yeah not that you weren't given the right like tools exactly or circumstance i also think and this is one thing that i found really weird about listening to her is that she doesn't even really make clear why she's doing this she keeps talking about how she wants more and more and how she's never content with what she has and it's like yeah but what, like, at least pretend what you're in the community for? or yeah. that you're wanting to give back or you want to inspire young women or something. Like, make up a reason, for God's sake. It just feels like it's money, isn't it? Literally, her driving force seems to be like, I want more money in the bank because I can. Yeah, rather so that, than because I want to give back to my parents or because I never had enough I have when this, I was growing yeah. up. When Steve asks her, like, well, are you happy? If you have everything you need and you're content, then why do you need more? And she can't answer that. To be fair, and I did find this quite refreshing, is she just constantly says, I'm just so grateful, I am really lucky, I am so aware of how I am living this amazing life and I can't allow myself to ever say I'm not happy because how could I not be happy? And I did Mm. kind of rate that. Like, she is kind of like, you know what? My life is amazing, Mm. I'm really rich, I've got everything I want and therefore I can't even allow myself to not be happy. Yeah. Even though she clearly, well, okay, I don't know, but I don't know how you can be famous and happy, honestly, really. And actually, I do feel really sorry for her right now because the internet turning against you like this in one 
I mean, she Steve, clearly thought she dodged it. But you know Christmas. what? I reckon she doesn't care. Also, Stephen Bartlett, who was basically like forced to address the whole conversation a few days later, made the interesting point that none of his male guests saying the same thing as Molly May had received any such backlash. Oh, yeah, so Stephen is actually, like, really, really great at always raising that point consistently. His female guests always have to be really apologetic about their successes and are always scrutinised way more than any of the men because people are basically looking to, like, trip successful women up in a way that yeah. they just don't with lots of his other guests. And, like, I think there's definitely an element of people just wanting to hate on Molly and choose to ignore, choosing to ignore the kind of broader context, both of the interview but also sort of who she is and her intentions and the fact that she's kind of speaking about herself and her peer group. Um, rather than the broad social kind of landscape, which I guess like is what the apology that she issued kind of gets at. Do you know what really didn't help her case? Bloody Nigel Farage uh, oh, defending her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, Molly May herself actually issued a statement, which I did not expect because I thought she would maybe just ride over the whole thing. Um, she basically says that, you know, look, I was talking about my own specific life experiences. Uh, I have to say, I'm not sure how sincere that apology was because she does use the classic, I'm sorry if people misunderstood line rather than the proper heartfelt apology. But, you know, yeah, good that she said something. I do feel bad for her as well because the coverage has been insane. Like it's literally in every mm. single paper. Um, it's everywhere. But I also don't think this is going to like affect her in the long run to be honest. I cannot even begin to understand what it's like to be in that position of power at 22, to be creative director of Pretty Little Thing, to be earning £600,000 uh, a year, to have set of 7 million followers. So I think she hasn't realised quite yet how that she's not infallible, that she is going to come down at some point. So she has this mad... She's just on top of the world in her head. So she hasn't even had time to think, to interrogate what her weaknesses might be, how she yeah. could. So I do feel for her in some way. Like I, if you put me on a podcast at 22 years old, I would be cancelled within two seconds. Yeah, people say the wrong things and they just don't. I think like we say, I don't think it came from like this place of like, like malice or whatever. Obviously it's just that, I actually just think she's just, she's just naive. She just doesn't, she's sheltered, she's naive. She doesn't know what she's saying is actually really, really, really triggering for a lot of people, well, for most people, to suggest yeah. that, like, your circumstances are solely your own responsibility, like, is a very, like, unfair triggering thing to say, and it makes... Definitely. It creates, like, a lot of really strong response in people. And, like, I think especially because of her relationship with Pretty Little Thing, like, the idea, essentially, at the end of the day, like, someone's paying for fast fashion. It might not be the consumer, but someone is. And I wonder how Pretty Little Thing are dealing with this, because obviously no one wants a scandal. This must no, really, really downgrade her, like... Her, like, yes, but also like they are unashamedly zero shits given about sustainability or ethics anyway. Do you know what I mean? They yeah. literally got on the website now, there are dresses for two pounds. Like you're not an ethical business if you're selling dresses for two pounds, full stop. So true. Doesn't matter who's your face. I found it really strange how she was completely unable to really explain why she felt that it she was really proud of herself for dissolving her lip fillers, but yet she had no problem with booking models for her fake tan business who had lip fillers. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I did, I found that really interesting, like you're saying, in terms of, like, how someone of that age or anything, well, just anyone can have that kind of sway, like... But she says, we want to just book girls who can be relatable to all people. So, for instance, we want to book girls with lip fillers so they can be relatable to girls with lip yeah, fillers. So, yeah, but you're perpetuating a damaging I think what she was beauty saying, trope. I think, I guess what she was basically saying there is she doesn't want to, like, hate on people with lip filler now just because she's dissolved And I it. totally get that, but why book them? Hmm. Because I kind of think she's like, oh, but it's their choice, it's their choice. Yeah, but you're still really impacting the girls who feel that they should get plastic surgery because you're putting women like that on the 
yeah on the cover of whatever it is on know. her yeah and all her Instagram I mean it's really it's a really well. complicated one right because I kind of do agree like obviously if it makes someone feel more confident you should do yeah I don't think want. women should be ra- berated for having cosmetic surgery like you do you honey it's true, like, but then do you need to put them as a look, put them on a, a bastion of like uh, idealized beauty, which yeah. you are by booking them for yeah. these for these shows. Um, lastly, on Molly May, I do think that as we were talking about before this podcast, the like let's bring women up and then take them down because I remember when she got but when she got the PLT job, oh, everyone yeah. was loving her on Instagram. I remember the the thing being like, oh, Molly May is one of the few influencers to be really adored within the black community and the white community. She's always been really true to herself. She never mm. takes on projects that she doesn't believe in. She's like the lesser. She more. only works with brands that she and now already look. uses. Yeah. But she has been, she's like, this is why I'm saying, this is why I don't think she'll care. She's, this has happened a million times. She's trended on Twitter okay. loads of times for her like slightly offensive views. Like it's not the first time that it's happened. Even on the level of like, do you remember last year, one of the big things, and I think she mentioned it in the Stephen Bartlett podcast, she like said that the food in Italy is shit or something. <laughs> she tweeted that the food in Italy is not good. It's like, it's so anodyne, really, and she got like, lo- and then there was also one where she <laughs> yeah. tweeted an image of like a meal that she'd made for Tommy, or maybe tw- Tommy tweeted a picture of a plate that he she'd made him, and it was like literally the deadest, most unseasoned, most like blandly. Oh my god, her Christmas lunch! I sent it on DM to Issa because I was like, that is the worst Christmas plate I've ever seen. I know, but she is Everything. just a bland British basic chick, isn't she? Like that is so actually who she is. Guys, like, we were gonna um, invite her on the podcast. Not saying that she necessarily would have said yes, but I know we were like we were thinking when we were planning for season three pre her being on Stephen, we were like ooh would Molly maybe great and also side note let's just say like her power is real like that episode of Stephen Bartlett's podcast which already is one of the biggest podcasts in the country rocketed him to top podcasts in the country he's never had the number one spot yeah. apart from in business podcasts he ne- had it all over he was all over the Apple podcast browsing space like it was huge for him even huge having Molly May definitely and he's now tapped into a whole audience demographic that he would never have reached without her yeah of like young women that like, don't really care aspiring. about <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah, we felt like this is more interesting because we couldn't actually have spoken to her on a real level. Not really. I think just... Well, I mean, there would just be a lot of topics that you'd feel awkward to bring up. It would have been confrontational and not that nice. So, do you think meritocracy is an illusion? Yes or no? (laughs) Because we do. Like... It wouldn't have been pleasant. To be fair, Stephen Barlow did such a good job. What was there left to say? Yeah, very true. Go check it out, guys, if you haven't listened. Go listen to all Stephen Barlow's podcasts. He's bloody great the Jimmy Carr one is also really really interesting have you listened to it I haven't must um, he does wang on a bit in parts but he makes some really good points oh my god why is my boss calling me um, do you want to answer oh, it I might just... oh he stopped guys sorry about that we're back basically Sydney Potter died today the first black actor to win an Oscar big deal uh, so my boss is calling me to be like we need to sort something out um, even though I had finished work two hours ago such as the life Journal of a newspaper life. journalist. You're never off work, guys. Newspaper alive. Um, so yeah, just had to organise a quick commission. Anyway, we're back. I think that um, signifies, signifies, wraps up the Molly May wraps chat. Wraps up Molly May, yeah. Let's discuss The Lost Daughter. Yes, I loved this film. I immediately told Kathleen to go and watch it. So it's directed by Maggie Gyllenhaal, sister to Jake. It stars Olivia Coleman and Dakota Johnson as two women who basically don't feel like they've got motherhood right, who think that they have been unnatural or guilty mothers. It's based on the novel of the same name by Eleanor Frante. Most of you will have read her Neapolitan Quartet series. And it basically centres on Leda, played by Coleman, as this like highly strung, very unlikable academic on a working holiday. 
Um, she becomes disturbingly obsessed with Nina, Dakota Johnson, a much younger mother who's very frazzled in early motherhood and her daughter goes missing on a beach. And basically Olivia Coleman's character gets really weirdly involved and we see flashbacks to her own quite difficult motherhood and it just raises all these issues about women who are unnatural mothers, essentially. Do you, do you think, am I missing anything, Cuffers? No, no, that literally sounds like spot on. I found it really, really interesting because I am kind of fascinated with this whole taboo of unnatural motherhood and reluctant motherhood as someone who is really not sure whether they want kids mm. and feels that it's not a normal thing to say and it's not a mainstream thing to say and I feel like I'm kind of alienated. You feel like you're being weird by even saying Yeah, because my yeah. friends... Which is actually so interesting in itself. Yeah, because none yeah. of my friends... Re- I have a couple of friends who think the same and we all call... When we talk about it, we're like, oh, when is our maternal button going to come on? And people have said to me, like, oh, but when you hold a baby for the first time you'll it will happen yeah. i've never held a baby no. which is kind of weird but i don't think it's that i think it's that i am really obsessed with my career and i don't think that for me motherhood will be like an that. ultimate fulfillment that's going to bring you like all the like yeah and this is what this film is about it's like people always kind of romanticize motherhood as an actualization of the self yes like, once you have a baby yeah, yeah, you yeah. find your purpose in your life you know who you truly are and like but for so many women that doesn't happen and i have been noticing and shout out exactly shout out to olivia petter wonderful journalist for the independent she has started an instagram called secret keeper secret keepers i was thinking just so this. many people have talked about how motherhood i regret having kids and there was that whole like thread of responses to one person saying that their secret their anonymous secret that they had um what would be the word like submitted yeah actually do check out the instagram it's really cool ellie told me about it and i'm loving it it's a bit like post secret from the us um i don't know if you've seen that but it's a uh, when people give their most deepest darkest secrets anonymously and then other people respond um, and, people and make you feel less alone. Yeah, basically. and someone says, "Oh, I, I had children, and it was a huge mistake, and I really regret it, and it's really." Changed. A common theme is that it ruins the relationship with your husband. With the husband, yeah, yeah, it was that, wasn't it? It was that the, my relationship with my husband was ruined. We're both so stressed, and loads of people had responded, being like, "I relate, I relate, I relate." And I think, weirdly, on the flip side, for me, I was just feeling like sensitive about that topic um, of like motherhood and stuff because. Like you say, you're so right. No one really says this. And actually, you are my only friend that's openly said, like, I definitely am not sure. Yes, like, I'm not saying I definitely don't. I you're just, just don't not sure. Know. You're just not sure. Yeah. But yeah, the more general thrust is that, like, oh, well, you'll have kids eventually or, like, you'll want them eventually or whatever, the, or you'll want them now or whatever the thing is. Um, but I did suddenly feel a bit... I read Elizabeth Day's novel Magpie on your recommendation the day before I watched The Lost Daughter. And that book... It has a twist, so I'm not going to say too much. It's a really, really great page turner, but it's about motherhood and fertility and those kind of topics. So I just felt a bit like overwhelmed by that theme generally. I think having read that book and then this, I was suddenly like, I think it's because I'm 30 now. You know what I mean? You suddenly at 30, it is true what like people like Dolly Alderton and other writers I've seen have said, like suddenly babies are like everywhere. I don't know that many people with kids at all, but and no one is particularly... When did the maternal instinct kick in? Well, for like for me, like I've always wanted kids, like literally since I was like tiny. Like that's been the only thing that like, I you, like played with babies. And yeah, like, yeah, I yeah, yeah totally. And I used to like babysit my neighbors' kids for free, and like I've always known. Like that's been the only thing that I've been sure about. Like way more sure about that than well, any. I hope you don't stuff. mind me saying this, and we can maybe um, edit this out if you don't feel comfortable. But I remember being fascinated with what you told me when I first got to know you, which was mm. that you had actually seen your career as being a mother. Yeah, literally, I had one of my big like, um, like 
defining moments of my life that I really remember is when I was at you and it makes me actually sad to think of how little ambition I actually used to have when I was young actually which is wild to me now because you're so ambitious yeah and actually it makes me really like sad for my former self that I like without tooting my own horn like I'm a capable person if you know what I mean like how did I literally only aspire to like being a mum and no shade to mums like we say like it is a full-time it's strange. job, of course. Like, it was a very old-fashioned way yeah. of thinking, and I literally was like this eight years ago, whatever, and it was going for a couple of drinks with some of my male friends, so I just at uni, and again, uni, as per the Molly May convo, gives you that luxury and privilege of having, like, long, wide-ranging chats about, like, yourself and society and meaning and purpose and all these kind of topics that sometimes, I guess, get laid by the wayside when you're knackered and you're working 12 hours a day. Um, and we were talking about purpose and da da da. And I said, Well, I just really want to be a mum. Like, I don't really mind what I do career wise. I'm not sure. I don't have a particular aim. My main thing is being a mum. And they both literally looked at me like I was crazy. And they were like, So interesting that they were male friends. Serious, Kath. Like, we're really shocked that you would say that. And I was like, Why? Like, that's my main goal. Like, I want to be a mum. Like, that's. That's my priority. That's where I see my life going. They were like, but of course you could be a mum, but you could also do something else. Like, it's really, like, depressing to us that you see that as your whole future. Mm. Like, being, like, you know, someone that's literally already, like, at university. Like, I think maybe even at that point doing a master's. Yeah. And they're like, <laughs> are you that's serious, so babe? Mad. Like, you need to have some higher and aspirations. Had none of your girlfriends interrogated that before? No, because I think most of them are the same. Like I say, that's why, again, I always find it really interesting, like, the dynamic that we have, like, when we discuss these things, because I think most of my female friends are like, yeah, I want to be a mum, that's the main aim. And maybe not now, again, I think, I do think culture shifted so much in the last, like, ten years, like, that now it's not, it wouldn't be cool or aspirational for a woman to say that anymore. I had no shame in saying that, I think that's what I find interesting when I look back on it. I genuinely was like, yeah, that's what I want to do. Whereas now I know, for example, like when I have a daughter, I want to set a good example to her that actually for a woman, there is so much more to you than just being someone's mom. And like, you know, like I want my kids to know that women and men should share parenting equally and both have professional lives. Like a woman shouldn't have to give that up and just the man has the career. Yeah. Like I definitely wouldn't want that. And my mom didn't set that example either. Like my mom did work when I was a kid, so I don't know where I've internalized that messaging from. I think for me, it's, I feel like it's such a gamble. I'm like, I know I could gain a lot from it, but the risk is so high. Yeah, but I guess that's the, for you, like you say, you think, oh, that self, like uh, the erosion of the self might happen to me and I'm scared. Like, But I think for me as well, and my boyfriend will listen to this and be like, oh my God, stop being so soppy. But I like very much worry as well. I don't want my relationship to cut. I don't want a baby so much that I want my relationship, that I don't mind my relationship suffering. suffering. And it would, I and think. it would, like, 100%. Because you're tired, you're this, you're, like... Obviously, everyone says, like, new parents, it is really hard. But I did see a really interesting tweet randomly today when I was looking up the Molly May stuff. It was from a journalist. I actually can't even remember her name. It was just, like, a journalist that I follow, like, an assistant editor at a title somewhere who was saying, I'm actually pregnant, and this is no shade to how difficult and challenging parenting is, but I feel that all I hear is negativity about being a parent. Like, parents of Twitter, could you please give me a few joys, how big, however big or small, of having kids? Because I'm starting to feel really anxious and nervous about having a child. Like, I do think of how hard it is, is part of the public conversation now, in a way that it just wasn't. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I literally read that Hadley Freeman article, and yeah, essentially, it's just not worth the risk. And Hadley Freeman um, is a, a Guardian columnist, and she has kids, she has twins, I, and I know she had them, like, when I say later in life, I mean, like, you know, 40 rather than 30. But she 
basically writes about if you're not sure, don't do it, kind of thing, because it is challenging. And of course, it's like the biggest gift and done. Yeah, and I think if you're not sure, usually you would just do it. Yeah, I think that's the the difference is that when you're not sure, you will just have kids because you feel like you should. And Mm. I, it's something I worry about as well. It's something like if I don't have kids, will I be the person? Like, will I miss out on friendships? Who you know, you you make friends and you maintain friendships through having kids at the same time and. Will I not understand my friends? Like, if you had kids and I didn't, would you feel that I could even get you? Mm. I'd, like, genuinely worry that you think... But then sometimes... I wouldn't I saw um, a friend of mine, a a big sister of one of my closest friends who has two kids, sent shared this like meme like on her Instagram stories over Christmas which I was like that is such a joke it's like bay energy she sent this shared this meme that was like it's really difficult being the mom at Christmas when actually your energy is more the aunt who spills champagne on the presents and then has to dash for her plane to Fiji oh my god it's like that I like who the hell does yeah. want to be the aunt drinking champagne that's going to Fiji instead of the mum who's like not appreciated and like I said to someone the other day and I can't maybe it was you I can't remember I was like I kind of feel like maybe I should have kids so that someone's there to look after me when I when you're old. older but then that person who I was speaking to was like why the fuck would you put them through that <laughs> that's like the worst thing you can ever do to your child absolutely not you can just exist to just, be yeah but like, to be honest I'm sure a lot of people have, have kids for that reason I guess what's really interesting about the lost daughter is oh yeah sorry, she's not the lost daughter she doesn't, I think what is what I really did like about the film, I guess, is that it doesn't settle either way on whether it was wrong or right for her in her life. Because she gets loads of joy out of her kids and she misses them. Basically, um, spoiler alert, if you don't want to know what happens exactly in the film, then just skip a couple of uh, 15 seconds forward now. But um, Leda's big guilt comes from the fact that she actually left her kids for three years to pursue her career. That is my favourite quote. Not favourite because I empathize not because i feel that's a good thing to say but she says it that it was so taboo busting so nina says to her how did you feel when you left your children and there's this pause and you think she's going to say like i felt so guilty Mm. and she looks at nina and she says fucking amazing yeah and it's like well i'm really glad that women feel that they can actually just admit that they needed it's like probably the mother's worst 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 flaw to leave their children yeah it's like i'm sure like but she admits it was the best myself even watching the film thinking even if it's this fictional world of like how do her kids feel about that and you know when one of her daughter rushes her off the phone and you're like, well, imagine if your mum literally left you for three years, you would feel like you'd been abandoned. It is unforgivable. And it's really, really selfish. And I don't think it's right in any way. But I felt liberated by the fact that she could admit yeah. that she felt amazing having done that, knowing that it was the most selfish thing that she could do. And also, I actually got my sense of her struggle in the film was that it was like a fight or flight. Like she would have had a huge nervous breakdown and maybe done something crazy yeah, had yeah, she yeah. not left. It was like she was at like she was she was broken like and she was, was able to come back yeah now she has a really good I felt like for her it was the only thing that could be done basically what's really good about the film is that as you say there is no judgment either way there's this brilliant scene showing her to be the most empathetic beautiful mother ever and then the scene showing her to be the worst mother ever yeah of her kids being horrible and her being horrible back to them yeah or her them and getting clearly so well. it really stressful and not enjoying it yeah and there's, yeah. there's just there's just a complete balance Fun fact, so Maggie Gyllenhaal's husband is Peter Skarsgård, who no is, um, in the film, a younger lady is shown, is played by Jessie, Jessie Buckley, Buckley, and she cast her husband to be Jessie Buckley's lover, and she was like, oh, I had to direct... Oh, he's the one with the beard! 
kid. Yeah. I was literally like me and Mom were saying, I was like, I really recognise that guy. And I just didn't bother to like look so it up and I Maggie Gyllenhaal had the self-confidence, and it, this is such bad beat energy, to cast her own husband yeah, to I have like sex with Jesse Buckley. And those like scenes were actually quite hard in a weird way. Yeah, and she yeah. said, how could I cast anyone other than the person that I find you think is the most attractive person? Yeah, and she said the chemistry was amazing. And I was like, I couldn't... Can you imagine casting Marlon I to have know. sex scenes with someone else that isn't you? Interesting. I also found, like, I don't know what you thought about this, because I do think Jesse Buckley was really, really good. But again, one of my criticisms of the film is, like, Olivia Commons only meant to be, like, 48. Like, come on, you could have just made her look younger and have her playing those scenes. I don't know. I, I don't yeah, know if I love actually. having two different actresses. Like, I'd almost rather it have been right. Olivia Commons as the like younger was, her. I felt, yeah, you're right. Like, and I think my only other beef with the film, like I say, is that when I was sending, I sent Ellie this thing after we'd briefly talked about The Lost Daughter, as in Ellie had been like, oh, you should watch this, you'll love it. And then I watched it and I was like, I did like it, but I'm a bit underwhelmed. And I sent Ellie the New York Times article, which called it like the film of the year. And I was like, sorry, but what the hell? Am I like the biggest Philistine? Because I just don't agree with that. Um, I think people are like jumping on hypes. And let's yeah. be honest, lots of the film critics in the UK are male. And I think they fully can't feel like they can ever say ever that say a film that about motherhood yeah. is bad. So. Um, but I think for me, yeah, it basically, and in a way this is a testament to like the great filmmaking because I came away from it feeling unnerved. And that's what I mean. It wasn't like a, like a cathartic, enjoyable no, no, watch. No, it's incredibly I disturbing. came away feeling really unsettled and I didn't love that feeling. And I think, again, like I say, because I watched it when I was still like in the throes of like COVID and stuff, like I needed like... TV that was going to like coddle me and like comfort me yeah, and that and made me feel destabilised almost. One thing I don't know if you notice and I think it's something I'm just picking up in a lot and maybe this just speaks to like my mind but did you not think they were going to get it on Nina and Lady? Yeah point? yeah I thought there was maybe some like um, sexual the current... but Also Paul Mescal side note. Little cameo little... from Paul Mescal just playing Paul Mescal which really interesting Olivia Coleman said she wrote in that scene essentially or told Maggie to bring in that scene simply because she wanted to flirt with the younger man to flex his muscles and there's no other reason why he's literally like there's oh, really? that scene Oh I really like that scene as well and he's like oh you're really beautiful or whatever yeah, yeah. I, actually really, I think that scene gave the film more depth and gave Definitely. her character more depth I love how unlikable she is she is the most unlikable grouchy woman in it and I love that yeah Olivia Coleman is great. I mean, it's the acting that makes it, really, as well, isn't it? Because yeah. if you... And obviously the scenery, like the Greek sort of island scenery, like it's very beautiful. But claustrophobic. It's, yeah, there's like... It's got an atmosphere, for sure. But I have to say, I don't think they needed to do the queer baiting thing, which I find that so many films and TV sh- shows do now. Like, why did there need to be a sexual frisson between the two mothers? Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Why yeah. did we need to think that maybe Olivia Coleman and Dakota Johnson will get it on? Get together, yeah. Hot, but unnecessary. But unnecessary. No, you're so right. I wonder... Have you read the book? I wonder if that's... I haven't read the book. Apparently the ending's quite different. So mm-hmm. Elena Ferrante um, only gave the rights to Maggie Gyllenhaal kind of wanted to get the rights to it but she thought someone else could direct it and Elena Ferrante who's the author said that she would only give copyright approval if Maggie, Maggie directed it clearly because she it was such a like woman so personal theme. yeah yeah but um yeah so watch that yeah. guys no I do it's, definitely recommend if you want to be in the Oscar conversation yeah it's a good film to like drop in that you've watched it's one of those it's really it? good it's really, it good. Is really good and it's, it's unusual definitely. but yeah just don't go into it thinking that it's going to be a very cheerful uplifting easy mindless watch there's a lot of not. disturbing films that happen yeah. on the beach White Lotus oh but I see I loved White Lotus sorry TV shows yeah I found White Lotus lighter I found 
the lost daughter more you know it's true but there, I, some, we were in a features meeting the other day and someone was like like resort horror it's definitely yes like a it's becoming like more of a thing fun fact you know that white lotus is like a proper like post-pandemic show and that it was only made because the showrunners or the director like pitched the idea to hbo as based on this island resort and it was covid friendly like they oh couldn't make God. the film happen during covid because it's all literally shot on an island resort so everyone was is it shot in, in hawaii it is yeah, shot yeah. In hawaii. It's shot, yeah. it was shot at like a five-star resort in hawaii Guys, if you haven't watched The White Lotus, watch it. And Sydney Sweeney is the breakout star of The White Lotus and also in the second season of Euphoria, which comes out this week, which I really recommend. I have binge-watched the whole second series. It is fucking amazing. And also extremely deep. Like, the storylines around abusive relationships, about feeling closeted as a gay man, of, like, inherited trauma as a gay man is incredibly, incredibly powerful. Okay, oh, and the trans. There's a trans woman... Um, Actress Hunter Hunter Schaffer Schaffer, Schaffer, Schaffer. I, I probably has the most beautiful storyline with Zendaya yeah. and Zendaya probably is going to win an Emmy for her depiction of a drug addict. Like we watch her beating up her mum. Oh it's really? Wild. Wow. Okay, because I have to say everyone loves you for it. My fifteen-year-old sister loves it, but I've only seen season one and I actually did struggle with it a bit. So my boss made me write about season one and apparently I wrote the best intro I've ever written in my life. Really? It was about me um, smoking a bong with the guy from Tracy Beaker. Did you do that? Yeah. Oh, I did do that. Random. Why? Who's the oh, guy from Tracy Beaker? Um, Can you give me he, some more deets? Well, yeah, so basically I was talking about how I just don't relate to the teens of Euphoria who are having this, like, amazing sex lives and, like, very glamorous surroundings and doing so many drugs right, and drinking yeah, in yeah. such a stylized way when I was, like, my first experience of drinking and my only experience of drinking at, like, 15 was going to a park in Oxford and smoking a bong and then everyone wetting themselves. <laughs> everyone wet themselves. Everyone wet themselves and up. everyone's parents had to go and pick us up no, outside someone else's stop. house. It was like 6pm. That is so funny. Um, and I, themselves. literally, there was like a pee party and yeah, the guy from Tracy Beaker, from Tracy Beaker, I had to kiss in Spin the Bottle. Oh my That's God, my claim to now. fame. And then we all sat on the trampoline and promised each other we would never smoke weed again. But... As regular fans of the podcast will know, I smoked it at Eskimo Dance with Wiley. Had a very, very other bad experience. Did not turn my deck phone on. Um, anyway, so that anyway. comes... So finally, we would like to end with uh, one claim to being a music podcast, which is that we both listen to the Weekend album. Yes, out today, Dawn, Dawn FM. So when I say today, I mean Friday the 7th. You'll be listening to this next week. Um, weekend's new album, Dawn FM. What do you think, Al? I really like it. I do really like it, but I love everything The weekend does because it yeah, really sounds like the so same good. song. Yeah. yeah, totally. The whole album is like that synthy, electro-pop, a bit Silky. 80s, like the same, like, same Silky, vocal liquidy. melodies that he uses in like Blinding Lights and those kind of songs. But I really love it. Like, I, think I really great. liked what you said earlier about how the reviews are fucking wanky. Yeah, I mean, that is my beef with critics generally. I think as well, since I haven't actually written any album reviews in a long time, I have this, like, now when I read them, uh, more as a consumer than, like, a journalistic peer, I just find it, like, overwrought. Like, I'm, like, I was reading the LA Times review of the Weekend album and it was glowing. Like, they were saying it's a brilliant album. You know, he's really clearly done a lot of like artistic growth and it's by far and this is completely true like it's definitely quite a positive album like obviously the weekend's quite like a dark vibe yeah, yeah. whereas this album's quite sunny and upbeat um and it's got like more positive themes in terms of like love and whatever but the way that the writer is talking about the weekend 
Emil Tesfaye is literally like he's his best mate and knows everything about them and how the album is like the God's truth Bible on like exactly this person's personal development in the last 10 years, how his like predilection for like certain women has changed, how this, and I'm like, do you actually know that? Or are you just taking like two plus two I and making ten? I also think that like, it's like, so worthy. there didn't used to be Trust a time. Yeah, and I do think like that no one should be reviewing an album. This is why I love Pitchfork, even though they're wanky in some ways. There shouldn't be an album review coming out two hours after the weekend releases album. That's not proper criticism. You need to think about it properly. Yeah. And there's this I like totally obsession that, like, oh, we need to release we it. We need to be first. Do you remember at GQ, it was suddenly like, you need to get the album review out within well, two seconds. One of our most embarrassing and terrible professional oh faux pas of all time was with the weekend. And it was the same thing. We basically, I have no idea why we did this in hindsight. So it was the weekend's um, O2 tour. We were both sent to go and review the game. And also we wanted to both go because we wanted to go together and we both wanted to have a press ticket. And so we were like, oh, we'll do the review together. I still can't remember exactly why we actually thought that literally writing it together was a good idea. So basically idea. I remember at GQ it was a thing of like, we need to get the album out by like the album review out like within hours or like the gig review out within hours. So you need to write it on the bus home so that it can be out yeah, the next morning. Yeah, we wrote it on the tube home. So, so we, I, think, I think that's what it was. We were yeah. trying to share the, we, split, we were dividing the labor. Yeah, we did. So you wrote like the first two paragraphs I wrote the last two or however we split it up. And did it not go well It down? did not go down well. So at GQ, um, obviously, in, as in any publication, like you have your line manager, but then there are editors for each section. So when you file a piece, there will be several opinions on that piece. It's not like just your usual same boss for every single thing. And Ellie and I, you know, put this piece up on the website, which in hindsight does seem mad. I was literally an intern at the time. This is like, I was like more than five years ago. Features yeah, and we just published the review to the website without having any second pair of eyes on it, anything. We just uploaded it to be first because the drive was always you need to be as quick as possible you've just been to the show the review needs to go live attitude to music yeah. criticism and to be fair that was the editor's view wasn't it the next day we came into work and they were like the online team were like yeah we've taken your review down and we were like that is oh, literally huh? one of the worst experiences of my life they yeah. literally like your writing was so terrible and no the reason so to this day if anyone from GQ is listening to this why was our review so bad because we just read it now it was not great it's really embarrassing and <laughs> It's, it's quite funny. cringe, but and we actually can't tell who wrote what, but it's not, and also it's still there. We never actually got the basic feedback of like, what is fundamentally wrong with this piece. But also it remained online. Other than like, there's something wrong with it. And then Ellie, being the much more brave person than I am as well, emails said editor who'd asked for it to be taken down and asked them to explain why it had been taken down and what was wrong with it. And they came back, and Ellie CC'd me in as well, so obviously I could see it, and they came back basically being like, you rush things too much, as into both of us, like, you've rushed this too much, it's just not good enough, um, you know, you're both doing really well and have come a long way, but you really need to do some homework, I'm going to sign you both up for the New Yorker yes! subscription, and you need to be reading it cover to cover <laughs> every week, like, how much journalism are you actually reading? Which is really good advice, but Which is great advice. the only thing I will say is that the review remains online. Guys, journalism, if anyone wants to get into journalism, it tears your soul apart because you're literally creating stuff and people are telling you that it's shit. Yeah, it's really embarrassing. And they're, not, they're also not telling you. It was mortifying you. in the office the next morning as well when it was like clearly like the little like topic that everyone was discussing. And to be fair, I think the main thing as well that wasn't being blame on us, it was more looking at the digital team and being like, guys, we need to prioritise quality over speed. Which is something that still newsrooms are trying um, to figure out. Yeah, and that's a, an issue for all like publications these days, online publications, but... 
it, it was very embarrassing, wasn't it? Was really we felt like we'd really fa- we'd really yeah. fucked up and we didn't know why. Do you think we had a cry in the loo? No, I don't think we cried because it was like both of us, so we felt like emboldened by being in the wrong together. Yeah. But I think we were just a bit embarrassed. We had a we great were, time at the weekend also. Exactly. We actually, like, I was just gassed to have, like, gone to a show because it's literally, like, one of my favourite artists, so. Yeah, I remember you being really into it. Yeah, I realised as well I called the album the wrong name earlier, but sorry Did you? Guys. What did you call it? Do I said, uh, no, I said I can't feel my face, but that was that song for me, and it was that Beauty Behind the Madness I album. can't feel my face. Yeah. Which I'm is always actually you. one of my least favourite songs. However, when I interviewed Charlie Puth, he said... <laughs> sorry, that name will never not be funny. <laughs> he said that that is like the one song that makes him like, he's like, that's the best song ever. It's written. about like, it's cocaine so kids. And it's like a Michael Jackson vibe, but it was also written with Max Martin. Have you listened to The Table Manners with Max I Martin? Have. Really interesting to hear from him. FYI, guys, if you don't know, Max Martin is like the biggest songwriter in the world. Yeah, basically. yeah, yeah. He writes all the big pop songs. Swedish. He, um, Swedish? He was on, yeah. yeah, he's Swedish. Yeah, he was great. Although I felt like he didn't enjoy the salmon that Lenny made. Oh, the thing. <laughs> I feel like he wasn't that nice about it. She I made thought... a light lunch it was of like a... salmon and potatoes. Oh, that was it. But they she did went... have a glass of wine. Yeah, she, it, he did they? have a glass of wine. I also felt like Lenny made salmon two two episodes in a row, which I found a bit difficult. She Elizabeth made salmon Day for Elizabeth Day as well. Martin. Yeah. And I felt as a listener that that was too much salmon yeah. to hear about. <laughs> I feel like also Max Martin probably wanted like a hearty English meal and not like a kind of Scandinavian light bit of like is salmon Scandinavian? Oh, I don't know it gives me that vibe you know I think it's not actually bit of light salmon and potato that's <laughs> Scandinavian I think Scandinavian is like herring pickled herring yes and lingonberries and things yeah. like that I'm sure okay, there's some we're getting a little anyway, anyway going on here. to go back to the weekend there is a fun intro by Jim Carrey Jim Carrey's obviously a very big fan <laughs> so Jim Carrey Jim Carrey narrates the album from the point of view of a Dawn FM radio like station. Like radio presenter person, in yeah. In purgatory, thinking about life, death, regret, redemption. And like our life post-pandemic. It's kind of a post-pandemic new Apparently The weekend album, shagging Angelina Jolie. <gasps> no way, yeah. they do say there is like an unnamed said, famous actress. Said, my girl's a movie star. And apparently that's the rumour. That would be really hot. Interesting. Yeah. Ooh, you know, I love a little, like, Ooh. celeb romance celeb story. Bit do, of do you think he's good-looking, able? Oh, do you know what? I think he's, like, really attractive, but no, not conventionally good-looking. I'm not going to lie. Um, I think it's because he morphs his face so much for his art. I puts bandages on it and, like, knocks Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. About. That's what I mean. He's not trying to go for that conventional, like, poster boy, I'm a hottie vibes. Okay, so... I think we're drawing to the end now. Um, so, guys, it's been lovely chatting to you. It really has. Yeah. Let us know how you found this chat. Look forward to Mahalia in two weeks. Let us know what you want to hear more of, like we say, whether that's podcast stuff, films, albums, singles, anything. Or just to we hear... We just want to know what yeah. you want. We've been quite personal in this episode. Do you think we'll regret it the next morning? I know, watch how we'll like, be the next, like... Well, I mean, I was going to say get trolled like Molly Mae, but no one cares <laughs> about us, so that's not actually going to happen. Oh, my no, God. No, that's not going to happen. Um, yeah, Mediocrity please. is a blessing and a curse, Kathleen. It is, it is. <laughs> <laughs> please right. rate, review, subscribe, and as ever, thank you, Marlon Percy, for your musical editing. Thank you, Marlon. See you next time. Bye.